Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. All right, how's everybody doing today? Everybody have a good 4th of July? Okay. (laughs) I did. Um, (laughs) We are starting a new sermon series today called The Flip Side, and that we're going to focus on for the next few weeks how a lot of times there's a truth that we find in Scripture that we love, but there's also a flip side of that truth that can make us uncomfortable or that maybe we don't want to think about. And today we're going to talk about mercy and judgment. And before I do that, I do want to welcome uh, every one of you that are here, and particularly those of you who are guests. Maybe it's your first time or you've been coming for a little while. And I do want to be upfront with you about our church. And the first thing I want to tell you is, um, if you're coming here, maybe you moved here from another area and you were part of a church or you've been a part of a church in this area and you're looking for a new church, we want you to know we appreciate you being here, but you are not who we are trying to reach. Um, the mission that God has given us is to reach lost and unchurched people. And that doesn't mean that there's not a place for you here, um, because if God calls you to come and to be a part of our mission, then we, we would welcome you and look forward to, to, to ways that you might contribute. If you feel like that, um, you know, your, your heart's desire is to be a part of a church where you can be a part of something that is greater than yourself, um, if, it, if it really kind of gets your fire going to think about seeing lost people come to know Christ and to be able to, to disciple them and to, and to watch them grow and to be a part of a church, then we, we want you to know this might be the place for you. And uh, um, as a staff, we're here. You know, yes, we have things to do, and yes, we are busy, but we want you to know that um, we, uh, we do have time. If you have questions or things that you want explanation for or, or whatever that we're welcome, we'd love to sit down with you and talk with you. And uh, part of our membership process is that you uh, meet with a staff member and we will explain to you and show you what, um, who we are as a church and what we expect. And, and uh, we'd love to answer any questions you have there. And that's not meant to um, discourage anyone from visiting here. Uh, we want you to, you know, we, one of the things we know is we're not the church for everybody and we don't try to be. Um, we're trying to be a church that honors God and fulfills the mission that he gave us. And if that's, uh, you know, if you found find that this may be the place that God is leading you, then we would love to have you. Um, You know, one of the things we do not do is shy away from talking about uncomfortable things. And there are some, I'm going to be honest with you, at the beginning here about some of these passages, there are some uncomfortable passages of Scripture that we're going to look at today. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know how else to do it, but just dive off into them, and and we're going to try to see what God might have for us. You know, the first part of, that we're talking about today is mercy, and everybody loves mercy. You know, and there's mercy and grace are kind of tied together in our minds as believers, but there's a difference between the two. Mercy is not receiving something that you deserve. In other words, what we deserve before God is um, death and hell. The scripture tells us that very clearly. And as we come to know Christ, we don't, God in his mercy does not give us what we deserve. Grace is called, it's, it's unmerited favor. In other words, God gives us what we don't deserve. And what God gives us through salvation is an opportunity to know Jesus. It's an opportunity to um, uh, be part of his family. We're called sons and daughters of God. And that's a gift from God that we get through relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, mercy is such a big part of who God is that in, in the Old Testament in Exodus 
And if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapter 34, we're going to begin in verse 5. As you know, the, the sermon notes are up there. You can open that and follow along. All the verses are there. Um, there's a document and also some of the main points um, if you'd like to do that. Um, but God is going to come by and pass by Moses. Moses wants to see God, and so um, God is going to pass by him. And as he does, he gives a description of who he is. And so that's what we're looking at first. Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7. And if you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, even in that part, even in this passage where God is describing himself, we all love the part where it says that he's a God of compassion and mercy, and that he's filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, that he lavishes love to a thousand generations. But then when it gets to the part about, but I do not excuse the guilty, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandparents. That's uncomfortable. And part of it seems unfair, you know, from our perspective. Well, why would he do that? But one of the things that we always have to look at and understand is that God is holy, that he is right, and that he is just. And so the main thing that God teaches us through that passage is when he first tries to describe himself, when he's first telling who he is to Moses, the first things out of his mouth are about love and about mercy. And those are the two things that are intertwined in what we love about God and what we want to know more about. And so God is rich in mercy. In Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. See, there's that intertwining of mercy and grace. Number one, he gives us life. He doesn't give us death, which we deserve. And then grace, not only does he give us life, but he raises us up in the heavenly realms because we're reunited with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. You know, one of the other things that we can see in God's mercy is that he's patient. He's patient with us. He knows that we're sinners. He knows that we blow it. He knows that we make mistakes. And he knows who we are. But he also knows, and one of the things that's important for us as believers is to remember that part of our job and our responsibility is that when we do sin, we should keep short accounts with God. In other words, we shouldn't have to go in there and confess sins from the last three years. We ought to be doing that on a regular basis, saying, God, forgive me for this. God, cleanse me of this. It says in Hebrews 4, 4 through 16, 
So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. This is one of the most, this next one's one of the most uh, important verses in Scripture for us. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. What is the mercy for? We find grace at the throne of God. We find mercy for the things that we've done, the sins that we've committed, and that God doesn't give us what we deserve. And then we find grace in that God blesses us. He gives us favor. He loves us. He, he showers us with blessings that we don't deserve. We don't get what we deserve. We get what we don't deserve. Mercy and grace. And that's one of the great miracles and truths of God's Word. And it is hard to grasp it, isn't it? You, you know, I know that I'm a sinner. Nobody has to remind me. I know it. I know every day that I sin. And I bet you do too. And so to be told that we can enter the throne room of grace with boldness to come before Him and ask for His mercy and for His grace is almost more than I can comprehend. And I'll bet it is for you too. You know, that we're able to come, it's just like going and jumping on our dad's knee when we're kids and asking for something. We don't do that with fear. I didn't want that, I don't want my children to fear me when they came and sat in my lap. I want them to come and feel comfortable and to know that I was their dad and that I want what's best for them. And that there were times that I took them for ice cream. Maybe not every time, but they came and asked. And I wanted that for them. Now here's part of the uncomfortable part of that. We're supposed to come with boldness. We have access into the throne of grace. We can come before God and ask, present our request before God whenever we want. Because of what Jesus did for us, and because of what we've been given. But you know what the Bible also tells us? It says in Philippians 2.12, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So when you take those two things together, we're supposed to obey God with reverence and fear, but we're also supposed to approach the throne room of grace with boldness. So how do those two things work together? Because fear and boldness don't seem to go together, do they? I mean, who do you know that said, yes, I went out in fear and boldness. I boldly, fearfully went forward. They're, they're antithetical. So what does that mean to have a fear of God? You know, one of the things we need to remember is that God is not always just the pleasant parts that we want Him to be. God's God. He's always righteous, and He's always just in His decisions, but they're not always what we want Him to be. In Leviticus 10, 1-3, two of the sons of Aaron, Aaron is the, is the high priest before God, and Nadab and Abihu, um, they went out and they burned incense before God, and God struck them dead. That's a little uncomfortable. Here's what it says. It says they, they didn't burn, God had given them very specific instructions to the priests 
about this is how you burn incense before me. Okay? In this way, it says they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all the people. And Aaron was silent. Aaron was those two guys' dad. He's the high priest. I mean, that's about as uncomfortable a moment as you can find, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but I'm sitting there going, so they, they burned some different fire before God and he struck them dead? Seems to be a little bit of, more, a little bit of an overreaction. Anybody else think that way? Anybody think, man, that's fair? It's a little uncomfortable thinking about that. But here's what we got to understand something. God's holy. God's holy. He doesn't look in sin and go, ah, it's not really that big a deal. That's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible doesn't say that, you know, you got your sins that are worthy of death, and then you got some other sins that aren't really that big a deal. The ones that we would classify as not that big a deal, those put Jesus on the cross just like the other ones did. I mean, we all get, oh, well, you do that. Yeah, you should, you should die and go to hell. But what if you just cheat on your taxes a little bit? What if you just lie on your business just a little bit to make a little bit of extra money? What if you just, you know, look at some things you probably shouldn't when nobody else is around, doesn't hurt anybody? Is it really that big a deal? Well, that sin put Jesus on the cross just like the others did. And if it put Jesus on the cross, then it was worthy of death. In Numbers, Korah leads a rebellion against Moses. And he says, why did you lead us out of Egypt? All you want is blah, 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 and accuses him of all these things. And Moses said, well, you probably ought to take that before the Lord, so why don't y'all just be prepared to answer him tomorrow? He'd hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men, along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave, along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them, and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. Well, I get it that those guys that were leading rebellion, but their whole household? You remember what the first verse said, that he would visit the, the sins of those onto their children and their grandchildren to the third or fourth generation? Here's where you've got to trust that God's righteous and that he is just. There's nobody who's going to be able to complain before God, oh, that's not fair. In the book of Joshua, God tells the children of Israel to go and attack Jericho. And he says, I don't want you to take any spoil. You'll be able to do that later on, but not this time. Everything belongs to God. Don't touch a thing. And one of them took, took a bunch of gold and a cloak that was there. Apparently it was, you know, Calvin Klein or some kind of special thing that everybody wanted. So he took it and hid it. And then the next time the Israelites went out in battle, they fled from a little bitty nation. They beat this huge fortress. At the time, the strongest fortress in the world were victorious there, 
And then they go to this little tiny little nation. They said, matter of fact, don't even take everybody down there. Just send a couple thousand. And that nation came running out after them. And, and you know what they did? They ran. The Israelites ran. They were cowardly. And the leadership of Israel began to, to mourn because they had shown cowardice. And God said, what are you mourning for? He said, the reason you lost is because someone in your midst was disobedient and sinned before me. And so through a series of events, the one man who sinned, his name was Achan, was brought before Joshua. And Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. That's an uncomfortable passage of Scripture. What do we learn from those three things? Number one, God's serious about sin. Number two, the Word says, don't touch my prophets and do my anointed no harm. And then number three is that our sin, even when nobody else knows about it, now his family knew, but it affects other people. It affected the entire nation. Sin is, is a powerful force for darkness and evil. And it doesn't just affect you, it affects people all around you. God told them before they went into the promised land, He said, look, tell them. He said, do not unite with the Moabite women because they'll lead you to worship other gods. You know what they did? The men of Israel said, went right out, found Moabite women, had sex with them, and then it says the Moabite women led them to worship other gods and they went out and did it just like God told them. God told Moses, I want you to gather some men up, the ones that are still faithful, and I want you to go destroy those men. And one of them, here's one of the keys, walked with the Moabite woman right into the middle of the camp of Israel. Just strolled right in the midst. I mean, he wasn't hiding it. He wasn't being subtle. He walked with her right in the middle of the camp, right as God was telling Moses these words. And a man named Phinehas went up, grabbed a spear, went into, the, went into the tent, and ran a spear through both of them and put them to death. And you know what the Bible says? That God held back his anger on the rest of them because of what Phinehas did. Now part of me's like, well, man, that guy was a hero. And part of me's like, dude, he just ran through two people with a spear. Can you imagine? Now, I get it. Well, that's Old Testament stuff. That's all Old Testament. Nothing like that happens in the New Testament because we're on a new covenant, right? Wrong. All right? First of all, I want to talk to you about, even though we're believers, we've been forgiven of sins. There's two or three things I want to talk to you about. Number one, there's still consequences to sin here on this earth for our actions. Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant or reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now, I want you to understand there's a difference. Mercy and justice are sometimes intertwined. But here's something you got to understand. God may have forgiven you and have forgiven you for the sins that we commit here on this earth, 
But that doesn't mean there are not going to be consequences. There are natural consequences that come when we sin against God. If you leave here and you're like, God, you know, I'm a sinner, I'm tempted, and I, I mess up and all that, and you, go, you, you stop on the way home and, and rob the, the dollar store out here on Ranger Highway, and then you get out, God, I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? God's going to forgive you for it. But you're still probably going to jail. And you still have to pay stuff back. There are consequences. You know, the, the sin, one of the sins that talks about having the most consequences are sexual sins. When we sin sexually, when we get outside of God's boundaries, does God forgive us? Absolutely. But there's still a price to be paid here on this earth. There are consequences to that. It affects our relationships. It affects the relationships with people that come after. When, when we have, it's called fornication is when you have sex outside of marriage. Adultery is when one or, one or both the parties are married but not to each other. Okay? Now, fornication means there's going to be some consequences. Adultery, there are going to be consequences. It's going to affect your spouse. Fornication is going to affect you, the other person, and whoever you might get married to somewhere down the road. Now, I want you to understand something. God forgives, God heals, and God can establish and lift up a Christian marriage, even with people that have, Christians, that have committed sins before they met one another. So I don't want you to, it's not a thing of hopelessness. But let me tell you, it's going to be a little bit harder. And there's some difficulties that are going to come as a result of having sinned in that area. You don't get to, you, you can choose your behaviors, but you don't get to choose your own consequences. And that's not God's judgment. It's not his anger. It's a consequence. That's, that's called reaping what you sow, harvesting what you plant. And the scripture even says that the one who sins sexually sins against his own body. There are consequences. You think there aren't consequences? Just look at the world we're living in today. You know, I saw a protest yesterday. And there was a young woman, probably in her 20s, that was screaming into a microphone we love to kill babies over and over and over again. And you know what? I didn't look at her with hatred. I looked at her as someone who is scarred by sin. Now, that, what she was saying was an evil thing. But God still loves her. God created her. And God wants her to be set free from that. But let me tell you something. A lot of the things that we're seeing now are the consequences the fact that there's, you want to know why there's so many shootings? I believe there's one reason. Is because now we finally reversed Roe v. Wade, but it's because we determined years and years ago that some lives should be protected and some lives shouldn't. And so what we said was that some lives, some people ought not be born. And you think that doesn't have an effect down the road? I guarantee you it does. Now, there are, it's not a simple issue. There's a lot of causes. But I really believe that's one of them. Is that we, most of our 
the kids that are out there today that are under 30, 40 years old, they've all been born into a culture that said, you know what? Your life wasn't protected when you were conceived. They've lived, grown up living with that. You cannot mock the justice of God. And you know what? The thing about it is, if you've had an abortion or you've been involved, involved in that, God can forgive you, God can heal you, God can make you whole. But there are still consequences. And those consequences we see all through society. So there's natural consequences. And then sometimes there's God's discipline. You know, we do things and we know better, we get disciplined. You know what, I, I don't punish my children if they've done something they didn't know they weren't supposed to do. You tell them, okay, here's the deal. And God has clearly shown in his word what's right and wrong. We know what right and wrong is. And when we choose to obey, there are blessings. When we choose to disobey, God disciplines those that he loves. Hebrews 12, 8 through 11. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. God disciplines us when we choose willful, disobedient sin. He disciplines us in the hope that we'll come back, in the hope that we'll turn away from it. Because he knows if we continue down that road, there are greater consequences than what we're suffering right now. That that road leads to wreckage. And so God disciplines his children to bring them back to the right way because the right way is the, the life of blessing and it's the life of peace. And so God disciplines us. There's a seriousness to sin. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, Romans 3, 23 and 24. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. And what were the penalty? The wages of sin is death. Death. But I also want you to know that, yeah, we live in God's mercy as believers. And we live in his grace. There are consequences to our actions. There's God's discipline. But let me tell you something. There's also a limit God chooses when that is. But there can be an end to that mercy. Remember I was telling you that you were asking about, or yeah, in your mind, not out loud. I asked you if, if uh, you know, those things that happened in the Old Testament ever happened in the New. Well, let's talk about that. In 1 John 5, 16 through 18, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. 
All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. So what is sin that leads to death? I don't know about you, but that ought to get your attention. That got my attention. Every time I've read that, I'm like, what does that mean? Now, if you look back at the ones in the Old Testament, they all had something in common. And the, the thing that was in common was that they were in open, deliberate rebellion before God. It wasn't like, you know, I'm, I'm driving down the road and, you know, I, I, somebody does something and I get angry and I say something I want. It's a de- deliberate choice to be disobedient to God. It's not a, a sin of passion that happens in a moment. Achan stole from what was supposed to be God's, hid it in his tent, covered it up, told his family not to tell anybody. It was a deliberate choice. Adab and uh, Abihu, Nadab and Abihu knew what God told them to do, and they chose to do it their own way. They chose to disrespect God by doing what they wanted. The Israelites chose to disobey God by being with the Moabite women and by worshiping their gods when they knew they were not supposed to. Acts 5, 1 through 11. There was a certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And they sold this property and they told everybody, we sold this and we're giving all the proceeds to the church. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, she agreed to it. He kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. In other words, he said, look, you weren't under any kind of obligation. You didn't have to sell this. And when you did sell it, you didn't have to give all the money. But you claimed and you lied about what you were doing. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. She didn't know what had happened. And so Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the Spirit of the Lord like this. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. Now, I don't know about you, but that passage of Scripture right there makes me very uncomfortable. Anybody else? I'm like, man, yikes. That's a little scary. That's a little bit uncomfortable. Anybody else kind of feel that way? I do. You see, here's the deal. We should have a certain amount of fear of God. 
And what was common in all these circumstances was that they had gotten to that point where they didn't fear God anymore. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And you know what? It's good for us to remember and know about God's mercy, about the fact that he tells us to approach his throne room with confidence, that, that we have been forgiven, that Jesus paid the price for all of our sins. But let me tell you where, what the flip side of that is. Be careful not to take advantage of that. There was a man in 1 Corinthians that Paul said was, was sinning in such a way. He had taken his father's wife or his stepmother and was living with her in sin. And in 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, he said, you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed or that he would die, even though he would still be saved. He's not talking about him losing his salvation. He says, so his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. In other words, that he'd be resurrected. Guess what? Later on, the guy repented. 2 Corinthians 2, 6-8, most of you opposed him and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. So even in those circumstances, there's an opportunity to repent. I'm going to tell you a true story that happened at a, at a church I was at. There was a man who was part of the leadership of the church. He was a deacon. And there were a group of deacons that had, for whatever reason, for years, had been opposing whatever pastor was in there. I was, I was not the pastor at the time. I was on staff. And he was a part. And he, made, he and his friends made life miserable. It was always something, always something they were up to, always something they were trying. And he and I exchanged our views about a couple of things and had differing viewpoints. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that anyway. Um, and at one point, he and some of his friends tried to use me to get to the pastor and to cause problems. And I had a, I had a hard time with him, I'm not going to lie. And we, my wife and I left the church and moved on somewhere that God moved us to, which was a great place. And this was in a small town. And he was a very well-known individual. Everybody, everybody in town knew his name. He was a well-known businessman. About two or three months after we left, I got word that he had been out jogging with his mistress that apparently he'd had for years and years and years and dropped dead of a heart attack there in the middle of the street. And you know, for a while I thought, oh, that's because he was opposing, you know, the pastor or whatever. But as time went on, I came to, the, the first thought I had when I heard that story was, what in the world were you out, what were you doing, out jogging with your mistress in this small town? Because there's zero chance that you're not going to be recognized by someone. And so all I could come up with was that he'd just gotten to that point that he didn't care who saw the fact that he was living in open sin. And I really believe that's kind of the key 
to that sin that leads to death is that, you know what? And I, I know believers that are living in open sin and open defiance to the Word of God like it's nothing. And the, the message from this passage of Scripture is to, to remember it's not nothing that we serve a holy God. And you know what? When Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead in that moment, God was totally justified because he alone is the judge. And he is righteous in all of his judgments. And so what I want you to see from this passage is not to be concerned about what might happen. Yeah, we need to be tied up and, and exploring and rejoicing in the mercy and the grace that God has given us through Jesus. But we also need to remember that we serve a righteous and a holy God who is powerful beyond measure. And there should be a certain degree of fear that we live our lives with. And if you've gotten to that point where you can just openly live in sin and also claim to be a Christian, you're in a dangerous place. I'm not saying God's going to come strike you dead. That's God's decision. But let me tell you something. It can't happen. It has happened. And so don't take the things, the seriousness of sin and God's justice lightly. And so be careful about getting to that place in life where you can live openly in sin without any kind of conscience about it. The Bible talks about that some will have their consciences seared Be careful. And you know what? Understand something. Any repentance of sin, God is willing, willingly accepts it. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. That's what it says when we confess our sins in, in James. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. It, it doesn't matter. Anyone right now, any believer no matter how deep into it you are, God is ready and willing and able to forgive you of your sin. All you have to do is turn away from it. Now, that repentance part is important. Turning away from it means you're going to stop doing it. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're not. But you've got to turn away from it to repent. That's what repent means. It doesn't mean, oh, just be remorseful. Be really, really sorry, even though the next day you're going to get up and do it again. And you plan on that. It means turn away from it. It's not inevitable. Some of you think, man, I can't stop. I can't stop. It's got a hold of me. It's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. You've been set free from sin by the blood of Jesus, by the power of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. Temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow there to be temptation to be more than you can stand. There's nobody in this room that can say, well, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Not true. May God's word be true, though every one of us be a liar. Here's what it says. 
God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. There's always a way out. There's always a way out. Now, the more we've done it, the more it's ingrained in us, the harder it is to stop, isn't it? But you can still stop. He will give you a way out. For His unfailing love toward those who fear Him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I want you to understand something. The sin that leads to death are not sins that you've repented of and turned away from and asked forgiveness for. They're not. They're sins that you refuse to turn away from. That's the sin that leads to death. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Catch that part? Who's he tender and compassionate to? Those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we're we're only dust. You know what that means? You could sin every day. And God still forgives you. And you know what? Most of us, we're going to struggle with the same sins over and over. But God will forgive you as many times as you fail. But be careful about those sins that you stop turning away from. That you stop repenting of that you stop asking forgiveness for. Those are the sins that can lead to death. Be careful. Be careful. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to ask everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like to, I want to give you the opportunity to know Him today. There's three simple things it takes. Number one, you've got to admit that you're a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Number two, you've got to believe that Jesus is God's Son. He wasn't just a guy, He's God's Son. He died on the cross. For your sins and rose on the third day according to Scripture so that you might have life. The third thing, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And so here's the thing. It takes a relationship with Jesus. If you'd like to know Jesus, if you'd like to know your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you have peace with God, I want to lead you in a prayer of salvation. So I want to encourage you to pray this with me right now. I'll lead you. I'm going to pray a prayer prayer of salvation. You can repeat the words after me, or you can pray it in your own words. Pray it with me now. Dear God in heaven, thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. 
Forgive me of my sins, God. I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day according to Scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my Savior. And I confess Him as my Lord. If you prayed that prayer today, here's all I'm going to ask you to do. Without anybody looking around, if you prayed that prayer, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I just want you to look up at me right now. If you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, look up at me right now. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you prayed that prayer today or some other time recently, I want to encourage you to let us know. After the service, there'll be a staff member here at the front. If you'd like to talk to someone today, we'd love to talk with you and answer any questions and talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. Or we can set up a time where we can meet in your office, in our office, excuse me, in one of our offices here. Or we can talk to you over the phone. If you don't have time to talk to somebody today, there's a number on your screen. You can just text, I did it to that number. And we'll have someone get in touch with you and set up a time to talk to you about your new walk with Jesus. And we'd love to do that. If you're interested in church membership, you can take that same number and just text membership. And we'll have someone get in touch with you and set up a time to meet to talk to you about what it means to be member of our church and to answer any questions we'd love to do that right now i just want to pray for you let's go before the lord dear heavenly father we thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your love for us father we just pray for those that made a decision today to trust you that god you would encourage them send believers in their life lord to be an example. I pray, God, you'd help them to find the right church where you want them to be so they might grow and serve you. And Lord, we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.